our, our parents immigrated from India, not just my parents, but like my entire family, their whole goal was survival. And they've obviously met that goal, right? Now I feel like as the next generation, our goal is to thrive. So when I think of success, it's not a individual thing for me. It's a family, it's a community, it's our village, right? And so it's not just our community, but overall. So whatever I feel like I learn, if I can pass that on to clients or if I can pass that to other individuals, I feel like that to me would be worth it, right? That to me would be success. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am so excited to be here today. That's me, Yona Weiss, your host on this journey I like to call a podcast. And with me, we got Samir Sharma. Really excited to have you on the show, Samir, because it's not often we have tax professionals. We talk to a lot of real estate investors, but the great thing is, is that you're also a real estate investor. So, you know, I think you have a lot of knowledge and value to add on the subject of kind of tax mitigation, as well as, you know, real estate investing, how those two tie together. So great to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Good, Yona. Thank you for having me on. I'm really honored. And I'm glad you took a chance to, you know, contact me, help me hop onto the podcast. So as you can tell, I'm a little nervous, but hey, we'll get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no reason to be nervous here, Samir. We're, no one bites across the Zoom screen. But what's amazing is, like I said in the introduction there, you are a real estate investor. You are a tax professional, which means you guys have an accounting firm that helps people with their taxes. So tell me a little bit about how you got started in with the tax side of things and then yeah. we'll roll into the real estate thing because I believe that came first, right? Which came first, the tax or the, the real estate? The tax part. Okay, yeah, the tax awesome. part. The tax, definitely. Um, yeah. So I've been doing this for about 18 years. I started helping my dad. He started doing some tax work on the side out of our you know, family living room. And then once the second I turned about 17, 18, I started helping him out. Literally the second I turned 18, he got me licensed and helped me, you know, helping him punch in data or data entry, I guess, to get started. He saw me chatting on America online. You know, I don't know if you remember AIM. He's like, oh, oh yeah. you can type pretty fast. He's like, you can type pretty fast. So I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I can get there pretty, pretty quick with the typing. So I was like, hey, how about you type in this document for me? So it kind of <laughs> started off with that, you know, typing out letterheads, typing out documents. And he's like, well, you can type pretty fast. And then from one thing led to another, got me licensed, you know, doing income tax, accounting, tax planning, tax preparations. This was my 18th season. So yeah, that's how I kind of got started with that. That's pretty cool. And obviously at a certain point you went and got a degree and got licensed and all that kind of stuff. So you have the yeah. the background in that. Mm -hmm. And and if I'm not mistaken, you are an enrolled agent, correct? Correct. So correct, tell correct. me or our listeners a little bit, what's the difference between, you, you know, you may have seen this before, EA, enrolled mm -hmm. agent, as opposed to a CPA, certified public accountant. What, what's the difference between those two? Yeah. I mean, they're both really good designations. What the CPA can do that enrolled agents can't really do is more of like sign off on financial statements, right? So for example, like I can do books all day, every day, but I just can't attest them or, you know, sign off saying that this was a CPA audited financial statement. With an enrolled agent, we're more tax experts in terms of we, we get our licensing directly from the IRS. We can work in all 50 states, so there's no limitations there. But yeah, so like, for example, with me, I specifically deal, I dabble a little bit with the bookkeeping side, help clients clean up their books, get them all ready to go for tax season. But our bread and butter is taxation. 
where we can also help clients. We can also help represent clients in front of the IRS. So with with those pesky notices, CP2000 notices and whatnot, audits and stuff like that, we can help them represent clients in front of the IRS. So clients don't have to, you know, face the vulture. I don't know if you noticed the IRS's logo is actually a vulture. So (laughs) you want to be a little careful about that. Oh my goodness. I never noticed that, but that makes so much sense. Oh man, that now that's going to be, I'm never going to be able to not notice that now. <laughs> so and, at a certain point, you got you and I guess some of your family members, some mm-hmm. got involved in real estate investing as well. Did that yeah. come about through having clients that were investing in real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the cool thing with what we do is we get to see from an investment standpoint, we get to see what works and we also get to see what doesn't work. Right. In terms of, you know, stock investments, real estate investments or whatnot. So we kind of, you know, copycat some of the clients that were really doing really well with the real estate side. So me and my cousin, you know, Sonny, we decided to, you know, form a company and, you know, each put in some money and say, hey, let's go ahead and try this out, try this out. So one thing led to another. We started off with one townhome. And today we're at about 45 units. So not a huge portfolio, but gets the job done, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there. you're investing in some some commercial properties as well, or it's just simply the residential? couple commercial and then the rest of them are multifamily. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, that's important. So, so talk to us about, and we hear this all the time, you know, and I see posted online all the time, you know, one of the greatest things about real estate investing is the tax benefits that are involved. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I know about some of that, but right. tell us what are some of those tax benefits that, that everyone's talking about? And how do you deal with that? So that's the million dollar question, right? Like we get a lot of clients saying that, hey, I want to buy an investment property because I can, because my friends saved hundreds of thousands of dollars on their taxes. Well, it's always, the answer is always depends, right? It always depends. It's a yes and no question. It depends on multiple circumstances, but kind of like where you kind of come into play, where how I came across you, where through our you know tax planning course, you know one of the tax strategies was cost segregation. And you know I was on a Facebook forum where, you know, it's like, Hey, does anyone do cost segregation? And I literally got 30 messages saying, you know, why, you know, why, you know, why, cost seg king, cost seg king, contact this guy. <laughs> and so I did. So that's kind of one area, but all in all, I guess from a tax savings perspective, one thing that people can think about is depending on your expenditure, you know, you may or may not end up paying taxes on the rental income. Now, if your rental income is more than your expenses, that's good. That's a good investment. But then, you know, uncle Sam kind of comes in and takes a piece. So there are ways of, you know, accelerating depreciation through cost segregation or, you know, owning the property through an entity, which may or may not have favorable tax consequences. Ultimately, everything boils down to your personal taxes. Again, if it's, if you own the property individually or through an LLC, it boils down to your personal taxes and depending on your personal tax circumstances will determine if there were any benefits or, you know, what can be done to you know, right. shave off some of those taxes. Right. So are there other, I mean, obviously investing through an LLC or an entity mm-hmm. of some kind, or obviously the accelerated depreciation is something we're very familiar with and th- something that can help people, you know, reduce their mm-hmm. taxable income, not necessarily all their income, but certain areas of it, right. some more than others. Are there certain people that you see that have more advantage to this than others, or is it kind of an equal playing field? No, that, that's a good question. It really depends, again, on the individual circumstances. So there are some people that can be classified as a real estate professional. That doesn't mean you're a real estate agent. It just means based on your circumstances, based on how many properties you have, how many hours you're putting in to manage those properties, you could potentially claim losses against the rest of your income. That is one 
one area. Not a lot of people qualify and a lot of people mistakenly claim that on their taxes and kind of get reamed by the IRS. But that is one area that that can definitely help. The other couple of areas are at the back end where, you know, if you decide to offload the property, you know, there is, uh, you know, section 139. But for example, there's opportunity zones where people can invest in 1031 exchange. There you go. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about. Where if you sell an investment property and purchase an equal or more expensive rental property or investment property, right. uh, you can off, you won't avoid taxes, but you kind of push them to the future. So that's right. one way of kind of getting rid of the capital gains there. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, that'll, that will do it. I mean, those are things that I think everyone needs to have in their toolbox. These are tax strategies that if you're a real estate investor, you must know about. It may not be for you. Like you said, everyone's circumstances are different, but you got to know what's out there. You got to know mm-hmm. what the you know, what you can do and what you can't do. More importantly, I think that great point about the real estate professional status, we've talked about that a few times on the show. And it's funny because the question comes up a lot. And I, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm constantly, one of the first things, you know, I talk to every single client I speak to is, you know, defining what this real estate professional status is and making sure they know that they're only claiming that if they can actually prove that their main occupation is in real estate. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's something that if, if they claim, and it's not so, and they're ever going to be audited, it's not going to be a good feeling when it comes out the other end. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if someone has a full-time job, it's very difficult to meet the hour requirement. I know there's a bunch of ways, there's a bunch of things online. There's a bunch of Instagram posts, TikTok posts that kind of talk about, hey, do this. But again, I ultimately end up being the bad guy telling people, hey, technically you don't qualify. So you don't, you're not able to get these tax advantages. I mean, you don't ultimately lose those expenses or those losses, right? You get to carry over some of those passive losses to future years. And depending on your future tax circumstances, you could claim those expenses then or losses then. Yeah. And there are certain, uh, absolutely, there's certain times when it's going to be more advantageous to have those losses. You know, in a future time, mm-hmm. you may have a capital event, you may be selling a property, you may be able to right. use those losses. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, very cool. Well, tell me if there is something, you know, any changes that that are going on. I know there's been a lot of talk in the news recently about certain tax reforms or tax changes. Mm-hmm. Anything that you're aware of that's coming up that our listeners may need to be on the lookout for? So there's a lot of stuff up in the air still, right? right. Senate passed it, House hasn't passed it. So it's kind of like a couple of things that I'm personally hoping for, especially being in California, is the assault limitations or the salt cap where individuals that own a personal home or even your state and local taxes that are paid through your wages, those can be deducted as part of your itemized deductions. As of today, all of that is capped at $10,000. Now, being on a coastal state, I mean, first of all, state taxes are super high, property taxes are pretty high. So that $10,000 cap doesn't really do much or doesn't really help much for people like us in California. So I was kind of here reading about how they might be raising that limit to about 70 or $80,000 that if that happens, then that should help a lot of people, right? Not just California, but people all over, all sure. over the U S right. Cause that automatically pushes you above the $10,000 limitation and could help you further itemize and thus reduce your taxes uh, on the personal front. And it used to be, I mean, there used to not, I mean, this is a relatively new law that there were these, uh, this salt mm-hmm. state and local tax limitations, right? Yeah, 2018, when the whole tax simplification thing happened, they doubled the standard deduction and then they put a cap on the state and local taxes, the salt. So that was 2018. Before that, there was no cap at all. Whatever you paid, you can write it all off. And yeah, we're kind of hoping that comes back because it's affected a lot of people. We've seen a lot of tax 
even though tax rates might have adjusted a little bit, but yeah, people ended up paying a lot more tax or lost a lot of deductions because of that. Yeah. hundred percent. That will certainly help. What's interesting is it helps, you know, kind of the middle class helps the lower class, you know, a lot more because they're able to literally reduce Absolutely. their tax liability in a significant way. Now you mentioned you're in California. Are you uh, investing in California as well? Meaning is that where your rental We've- properties are? We've tried. <laughs> We've tried, but California, just like any other you know, hot state, is kind of difficult to get into. So majority of our portfolio, actually like 99% of our portfolio is in Nevada, Las Vegas. And that's just, again, saw a couple of clients investing in there. Properties were cheaper than cars back then. This is like 2018, sorry, 2008, 2008, 2009. So yeah, took a gamble, picked up a townhome for about 70000 which was, there was a lot of foreclosures and short sales going on at that time. So mm-hmm. again, me and my cousin, each put in 50%, picked it up. Then six months, we were able to refi 20,000 more than what we bought it for, or basically took out 90,000. So, and then kind of use that to invest into something else. So since then, we've just been in the Las Vegas, Nevada area and just kind of focusing on the multifamily, trying to pick that area up. That's great. You have someone local there that, that handles, you have property manager or whatever that's out there? Yeah, we... We worked with a real estate agent for a while. It was actually his cousin that was short selling the townhome. So he oh. kind of lucked out there. And then we definitely have a property management company out there. There's no way I'm going to be driving out to Vegas, even though I'd like to, but there's no way I would be driving out there like every week. Sure. No, I listen, there's a way to do it. Obviously, people all over the place invest long-term. In fact, my parents owned a bunch of rental properties in Las Vegas from Los Angeles oh, where they were living. So they, mm-hmm. you know, they had obviously property managers that took care of that. But it, you know, it's something that finding a place out of state where there's definitely cheaper rental properties and cheaper the state to the property tax is much, much less in a place right, like that. Right. So I can understand why you're not investing in your backyard in California. Yeah. I mean, just the overall cost of operations, cost of you know getting things fixed, right? For example, you would have, it's like almost double the price in California versus Nevada. I mean, obviously Nevada prices are going up, which is good, but yeah, just the cost of getting everything done out there is a lot cheaper, a lot easier to manage, I think, based on California, right. in my experience, at least. Is this a, you know, kind of rental thing you're doing? Obviously, it sounds like a side hustle, the tax, you know, Sharma tax, that's the main main job. Do you ever see that switching in any way, or you feel like you're going to be doing taxes for the rest of your life? I hope not, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that's like a eventual goal, right? Where tax laws are ever-changing, right? It's fun, right? Because things are constantly changing. I'm not good at math, but I'm good at money, right? So that's what I kind of tell clients. But when it comes to real estate, it's never truly passive, right? You can't just sit there and let money, just watch money, like walk into your bank account. There's definitely work involved. And I think that's kind of fun, right? You're kind of building. It's kind of like, I don't know if you remember the game, uh, SimCity, right? Where you're kind of building a city, kind of putting things together. So that's how I kind of look at it. We're kind of building almost like a a real estate empire, right? You're kind of putting pieces together. Mm -hmm. You also get to learn a lot too, right? You get to learn how to manage a property, and you also get to figure out what are your own strengths and weaknesses, right? Because I can call people, I can call repair companies all day, you know, get a hundred bids and then pick one out. And by that time, you know, someone's toilet has overflown 15 times already. So <laughs> kind of understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at, and kind of outsourcing that part. So that's where property management, I think, even though you're paying for it, is super, super handy. And then just kind of find someone that you can work with and, you know, leverage their skills to fill the void of my own you know, lack of skills. That's a smart way of looking at it. And I love the fact that you say, you know, figuring out what you're good at and you learn a lot along the way in real estate investing in any business for that matter. But even with a side hustle, even with something you're just kind of doing dabbling on the side, it still takes work. 
That's for mm-hmm. sure true. You know, there's a lot of people out there pushing passive income, right? Mailbox money, that kind of thing. That really only exists to a certain extent if you're either like investing in a REIT, which is not really real estate, or, you know, maybe passively investing in a syndication or something like that, where sure, it's pretty passive, but still you need to do a little bit of work and, you know, doing some due diligence and making sure that mm-hmm. you have the right, Absolutely. right people you're investing alongside with. But other than that, it's pretty involved, if I would say so. No, it definitely is. It definitely is, especially when you're trying to get a loan <laughs> or you're trying to refinance. Being self-employed, I mean, the banks ask for everything and anything. Luckily, you know, we have an accounting firm, so everything's documented fairly well. I just can't even imagine people that, you know, haven't done their books or don't have proper tax returns and the banks asking for all these documents and then people are running around. We see that. We see clients kind of running around and that's when we're like, hey, you know, remember when we talked about doing your books <laughs> a while yeah. ago? This is why. So, yeah, no, absolutely. You did mention syndication. So we are seeing a lot of that in terms of clients building out syndications and other clients kind of, you know, investing into that. One thing that I do recommend, kind of like how you touched upon is just do your due diligence. Make sure that just because it sounds cool doesn't mean it's going to work out. You know, we've seen a lot of syndications kind of fizzle out just because people didn't do their due diligence, you know, got into buying land and trying to build a property and things just didn't work out. And now, you get to claim all these, or you may not be able to claim these losses on your taxes. Yeah. yeah, Definitely would recommend do your homework. Absolutely. And you know, that part of it is actually, it's not as easy as it sounds because you may have people out there that are big on social media or things like that and are not necessarily the best operators. And even if you do have some good operators, you never know if you get bad property management company and that could really kill a deal. I literally heard a story last week from someone, and I'm not going to mention names here, but there was a well-known real estate syndicator that you know bought a property. And this person who I was speaking with put in a passive investment, a significant amount of money, seven figures into this deal with the hopes that they would be getting you know a portion of their doing cost segregation. They're going to get a portion of that depreciation back to them. They're going to use it to offset you know, some capital gains and things. Turns out after a year of the property, it went from a 95% occupancy down to a 70% occupancy due to some major property (laughs) management problems. And I guess they weren't managing the managers as they should have been. They have not given out even a single distribution over a year. And they also like, I guess they were having problems with their tax people because the tax people didn't even send out K-1s. So this guy's like panicking. I need my K-1s. I need these losses or else I'm going to be paying, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes I was hoping to offset. And it's really a nightmare. And I think the point of that is, is you can never really be sure. You know, there is risk involved. If someone tells you there is no risk in investing in real estate, I would run the other way because there's always going to be a risk. You have to do your due diligence and you know make sure to talk to other people make sure that who have invested previously with these people make sure everything they're saying is true yeah i mean just something as simple as just talking to your accountant talking to your cpa i mean i understand that we don't provide investment advice and stuff like that but just through our experience i feel like we can add a little bit of value and just let people know hey that doesn't look right or that doesn't seem right or these are the tax consequences of your implic- these are tax consequences of your investment or depending on what you're planning on doing this is what you may want to look out for so maybe just kind of talking to like almost like an advisor just to kind of get an idea of you know should you be making this type of investment or like you mentioned right what are the repercussions of doing so like what if you don't report that k1 because that company's taking forever to issue that that k1 you know what are the implications of doing so as well so i mean there was one client for example he sold a property 
he wanted us to run the numbers to see how much tax he'd, he'd owe. And he's like, whoa, that's a lot of tax. I get started with a, you know, a 1031 exchange. And I was like, whoa, whoa, way too late. <laughs> you already sold the property. <laughs> right. Not much right. that we can do now. But had he, we had this conversation like three weeks before, he could have done something about it. It's absolutely right. That's a very common mistake, unfortunately. And so you got to make sure that you uh, just being in contact. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important point. Be in contact with if you have financial advisor or CPA, you know, tax advisor, whoever that is, have those conversations earlier on. You never know if it's going to be too late. Some valuable stuff here, Samir. I want to transition now to what we call the final four. These are four questions we ask all our guests. First one to you is what is the worst job that you ever had? Oh man, that's going to be tough. I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really worked anywhere else. I've I've worked for our own uh, company, (laughs) but I guess the worst job here would be, you know, maybe when I first started, just in the file room, we literally had a room full of files, like 16 file cabinets, and we didn't have any electronic you know, data management. So we would literally sift through files, <laughs> pick documents, pick them out. And so that was probably the least favorable item that I've done here. That's fair. Fair enough. I mean, yes, you did mention at the beginning of the show that you know, you've been doing it since you're like 17 mm-hmm. years old. So I can't imagine you had too, right. too many other things that you know, that's a fortunate place to be in. I think a lot of people have dabbled in a lot of different things and just having something constant and consistent, that's a good place to be. Second question, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? I think, I know everyone says this, but it definitely did really change how I looked at things. It was Rich Dad Poor Dad. You know, I, I think that was probably one of the first books I actually read cover to cover without putting it down. You know, It was just really insightful just in, from the way of looking at things a little differently, right? Where my parents are immigrants, right? They came from India and their whole thing wasn't hustle, hustle, hustle. It was hustle to survive. So they only had one, one, you know, wavelength, one way of kind of looking at things. Right. But whereas like now it's like, I remember my dad would say, you know, Hey, we're here to kind of, or his job was to build a platform. And my job was to kind of take flight from that platform. So mm-hmm. I feel like we were kind of given that opportunity, but with that, what the rich dad, poor dad book kind of showed me was that, yeah, hey, there there are ways to take flight, right? There are ways that I guess hustling and kind of, you know, doing that type of, you know, every nine to five job is, is totally fine, right? It works for a lot of people, but there are other avenues. There are other, you know, paradigms that you can look at. Right. That's, that's awesome. And yes, we have a lot of people on the show mention Rich Dad, Poor Dad for a very good reason. And if you are one of those people listening to this who hasn't yet picked up the book, I highly recommend you do so regardless of the one episode we did have with Omar Khan that that said that it was a book that he read that he felt dumber after he read it. But that was him. He was in a unique scenario, but everyone else found it to be good. So yes, we'll put that in the show notes and check that out. Third question for you, Samir, what is a skill or talent that you would like to learn? This is kind of weird. I love basketball and I wish I can dunk. (laughs) So maybe... The ability to jump higher or be more, have more agility. Oh, there you go. Okay. It can be done. Listen, yep. uh, <laughs> people have done it. You know, you just train. Uh, in fact, I believe, I feel like there's one other person that said on this episode, on this show, once upon a time, something about being able to jump higher. And I I, really? like, I usually remember everyone, but I feel like that may have been one of the earlier episodes. Yeah, because so, I'm 6'2", so I'm like almost there, but not there enough. <laughs> some training. I'm sure you can do it. Yeah. There you go. So fourth and final question, what does success mean to you? Man, that's a loaded question. But for me, again, looking at our background, right? Our parents immigrated from India, not just my parents, but like my entire family. Their whole goal was survival. And they've obviously met that goal. 
right? Now I feel like as the next generation, our goal is to thrive. So when I think of success, it's not a individual thing for me. It's a family, it's a community. It's, you know, it takes a village to, you know, it's our village, right? And so it's not just our community, but overall. So whatever I feel like I learn, if I can pass that on to clients or if I can pass that to other individuals, I feel like that to me would be worth it, right? That to me would be success. So for me, it's not really monetary. It's more of like, how do we grow our community? How do we help others? And how do we make sure we don't kind of go backwards to, you know, struggle? Love that. That's great. And I love the perspective that you give because it is something that, you know, a lot of people out there are in a similar boat, you know, that they have had coming from, you know, parents or immigrants themselves and just trying to make it and being able to give that over to the next generation and give that over to, you know, to make sure that you leave a legacy. So I appreciate appreciate that perspective and appreciate you coming here on the show and spending some time with us today. No, thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate you having me on here. And again, anything I can do for you, you've helped me so much. You've introduced me to a couple of people that helped out our clients with the cost segregation stuff. So anything I can do to help you, sir, let us know. Thank you. And where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? I am active on LinkedIn. So, you know, Samir Sharma, yay. There's not too many Samir Sharma, so you should be easy to find. Otherwise, our website, sharmatax.com. You know, we have a contact us information there or my email, samir at sharmatax.com. Very cool. Awesome. So thank you again. And I appreciate the time. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us all the way to the end. And remember, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.